don't uh, watch AFL all the time and I thought I'll give it a go because it's a great game. I've been to uh, a couple of get live games and really enjoyed it. But yeah, I felt really uh, a bit sad. <laughs> for you, Jimmy, as well as for all the other patrons. Look, I don't know if you noticed in that reading, uh, in uh, the second verse there, chapter 2, uh, or in chapter 3 there, that Paul used some rather strong language that would not be very acceptable in terms of our political correctness these days, calling people dogs and evildoers, uh, those mutilators of the flesh. And really, it's an incredible contrast uh, with what happened in chapter 2 and chapter 1. Uh, remember, we called this epistle, uh, described by one commentator, as Paul's happiest letter. But he's not real happy here. And uh, we need to, you know, just say, why has he turned from all that beautiful encouragement and inviting them to comfort one another and show tenderness and compassion and to share their lives together in the spirit. But what happened? Why is Paul speaking about a group of people in this new church at Philippi, a church he's proud of, but why is he now um, so harsh and angry? Let me explain. When Paul made his first trip to Philippi, he preached a very straightforward message he said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And there was a full stop after that. Believe in Jesus and you will be forgiven. Again, full stop. No qualification in addition to that. Take hold of Jesus Christ as the king of your life and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will know that you are now one of God's children for all eternity. Full stop again. We know this because in Acts 16, we read the other week about the very moving story of the city jailer who fell trembling after the earthquake at the feet of Paul and Silas and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they simply replied, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Apart from being baptised into Christ, there were no additional religious or ritual rites that Paul said they needed to observe. Salvation is the free gift of God the Father through Jesus Christ his Son to all who believe in his name. As St Paul explained in his letter to the Ephesians, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Folks, this is a very fundamental, vital and unique aspect of the Christian faith. It's not in other world religions. And that's why St Paul will defend it to the death. That is why in chapter 3 he's angry because some of the new believers in Philippi uh, were Jewish. And Paul was Jewish. So he feels a little bit free to have a go at some of his fellow countrymen who are introducing something that is a real tragedy at the beginning, the founding of this brand new church. They were wanting to add some extra Jewish things that people needed to do in order to receive the free gift. And in doing so, they were rendering the free gift not really a free gift anymore, not good enough anymore. It was an insufficient gift. 
In other words, they were saying that Jesus' death on the cross was not completely sufficient for salvation, but that there are certain rituals, certain traditions that we need to observe in order to add um, some human merit to God's free gift. Such belief is not just an insult to God and to Jesus, but it is a step backwards into what existed before Christ. It is a step away from God's amazing grace, back into bondage to the law, bondage to human guilt, and bondage to uncertainty that comes with it. If we think about this a bit further, in verse 3, Paul says, we Christians are able to boast in Jesus Christ, but there's no basis for boasting in the flesh. We are fully confident that the death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary was sufficient for our full and free forgiveness. The terrible passion of Christ on that first Good Friday was in God's eyes completely adequate to pay for our sins. Nothing else needs to be added to it and if we attempt to add some other human merit or some human credential, it would be a shocking insult to the grace and love of God. Adding to grace actually becomes a subtraction. Our forgiveness and salvation is the free gift of God. It free to us, but very costly to Jesus Christ. St Paul said in Romans, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus our Lord. This gift is ours when we surrender our lives to Christ as our Saviour and King. Now I'm spending a little bit of time on this. I know this is a very familiar teaching and doctrine to all of you, but it is central, it is essential, it is crucial and it is unique, as I said a moment ago, to Christianity and we need to cherish this particular fact of our Christian life. A great Christian man of yesteryear, a fellow named Rupert Meldenius, once said, in things non-essential, there ought to be liberty. In things essential, there has to be unity. And in all things, there has to be charity, which is, of course, the ancient word of love. Wonderful guide, isn't it? And what St Paul is saying to us today is essential. That's why Paul is so angry with that particular group of people at Philippi who are contradicting his teaching. This is crucial, what he's saying. And you know, it's a very good choice of words, isn't it? Because crucial comes from crucifixion, the same uh, Greek root word. And it means something that is at the heart of our Christian faith, the crucifixion of Christ, and there are crucial things that cannot be dispensed with. And it's not as if Paul had not taught them this truth before. He said in verse 1, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it's a safeguard for you. So, this teaching uh, didn't just threaten back in the days of Philippi, it has threatened uh, the Christian doctrine of grace all down through the centuries and it is still a false teaching today. And one commentator described this particular false teaching as the devil's most successful lie. 
So let's just frame up this false, false teaching so we can understand exactly what it was and get a better understanding of why Paul got so angry. Firstly, at Philippi, the false teaching could be summarised in this way. It's not enough for Christian believers to have faith in Christ alone. You know, we sing that great hymn, don't we? In Christ alone. You must also, these people were saying, you must also observe our Jewish customs and rules, um, our rites of circumcision, the initiation rite, uh, the, the, the idea of Sabbath keeping and keeping of holy days and ritual washing, washings. Um, there were many things that they wanted to introduce. Secondly, in our churches today, there can be similar expressions um, of this old heresy, uh, which is still the devil's most successful lie to God's people as well as to people out there in the world. And it happens in the church when believers get caught up in the same trap of defining their faith in terms of their traditions or their family pedigree, um, their culture or their God-fearing service that they offer, the good deeds that people do and relying on that in some way to earn a place in heaven rather than a personal faith in Christ. For example, people may say things like, I was baptised when I was six weeks old. Of course I'm a Christian. I was confirmed by the Archbishop at the time. My parents helped to lay the foundation stone of this church. I come from a Christian family. I served on parish council for years and years or I was the rector's warden for many years. My family donated the stained glass windows that we have in our church. I was on the Good Samaritans team or the pastoral care team. So you get the idea, all these things. Now all these things are good things, wonderful things to do, but not if they're the things that we're doing to earn salvation. Paul was saying to the Philippians, all these claims to human merit, these human credentials, while they were good things, they do not deal with sinful human behaviour. They do not deal with forgiveness, the forgiveness that our hearts need. They do not deal with our freedom from guilt. So while they're wonderful things, there's some very important things that they just don't do. They do not do what Jesus Christ alone did by his death on the cross. So to paraphrase the scriptures, how shall we be saved if we trust in the lesser things and ignore the life-transforming salvation of Christ, the crucial thing? Now, let's just come to our modern times and again, a similar kind of false teaching, I think, is at large in the world. A slightly different variation on the kind of things that people say People might say things like this, you don't really have to worry too much about Jesus and all that religious stuff. If you just do your best to live your life uh, according to good morals and the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount, things like that, surely God will let you enter his heaven. Or as long as you don't murder anyone or commit adultery or rob a bank, uh, that's, that's what being a good person is, you'll be okay. As long as you live a moral life, love your neighbours, go to church from time to time, everything will be fine. God's pass mark is probably not too uh, high. He knows we're all imperfect. He can't expect us to be perfect people, can he? 
So long as we've got more credits in the ledger than debits, we should be okay. Or as long as you're an honest person, tell the truth. True to, be true to yourself and maybe give to the odd charity. You get the picture? All these things are out there in the world that people are thinking, surely I'll be okay with God if I live like this. But let me ask you a question. What is common to all these statements? Now, at least a couple of things. The first thing, they're all describing human effort, good deeds, our credentials. People want to define religion simply as trying to be a good person, a good neighbour. And what's wrong with that? Well, for a start, being a good neighbour is which commandment? Certainly not the first one, is it? And that's the problem. Uh, no good exceed, doing exceedingly well on the second commandment and ignoring the first. We can't just say to God on judgment day, I didn't like the first one much, I decided to try for number two. Now, just a small aside here to illustrate how the world sees all religion, I think, as people trying to live a uh, moral life and doing good deeds rather than God rather than seeing relationship with God and seeing how God loves us and we love him in return. This happened to me when I was conducting a baptism interview and uh, the father said something to me and I was trying to get the point across because he was just saying, look, we're good people, you know, um, we do this and we support that and what else do we have to do, you know? And I was making the point that they were very good at the second commandment but kind of neglecting the first and I said the first commandment that God has given to all people is to love him with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength with every faculty that makes us human that's the first commandment to praise God and love him and worship him and you know what he said to me he said why does God need everyone to love him and praise him all the time is God a bit insecure or something? <laughs> How would you answer that question? I thought he was pretty smart and he kind of uh, floored me for a little while. And I thought, okay, what's the best way to answer this question? Well, you see, basically, it's not that God is in need of anything. God is perfect and complete within himself. Although it is true that he delights in our praise and our worship um, all the time. The point is, though, that the first commandment is for our benefit, not God's. Loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength is the most important thing any human being can do. It is eternally to our great benefit that our foundation for the whole of life is to love and praise the God who created us in his own image. To love and praise the God who gave us our beautiful home, this planet Earth, the God who gave us his only begotten Son, the Father, who St James says, gave us every good and perfect gift coming down from heaven. Now there's a bunch of reasons why this commandment is good for us. Who was it? Some, uh, I think it was G.K. Chesterton, who said the saddest moment in the life of an atheist is when he's feeling enormously grateful for something wonderful about life and really has no one to thank. And it's true. 
you know, this is why this commandment is good for us. We look to God to, and, and say thank you for the wonderful things that he does in our lives. Loving God, praising God, thanking God, talking to God in prayer, these are the healthiest things for human beings to do. They are relational things. They are not religious things like rites and rituals that we claim as credentials or merit of some kind. So no matter how good we are at loving our neighbour or being good religious churchgoers, it'll never work if we've bypassed the first commandment to love God and believe in his wonderful son. The second thing that is in common to all those statements is that they are very vague about who will qualify for heaven. There is no certainty whatsoever if we're relying on our own goodness. No blessed assurance. You're too young to remember probably that very popular hymn in the days of Billy Graham. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Our sermon title today is Jesus, Yes, Human Credentials, No. Now, by way of contrast, we've already listened to a few verses that are totally clear that I mentioned earlier about what we must do to inherit heaven. Let me give you one more, or three verses actually, from St. John's Epistle and uh, 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 to 13, where it says this. And this is the testimony. I like this passage because it is clear, it is logical, anybody can understand it and take it home. This is the testimony, God has given us life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life, whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you will no, not hope or dream or think one day maybe, but so that you will know that you have eternal life. There is meant to be certainty. Paul was writing so that people would have this blessed assurance. Once again, a biblical statement that tells us that our forgiveness and salvation is totally secure through belonging to Christ. Nothing else needs to, pardon me, needs to be added. Uh, this is a, a great verse to memorise and to know the promise of God that dispels all uncertainty, the uncertainty of human credentials. Now, an illustration to make this point is, um, clearly, is where St Paul uses himself. The people putting forward this false teaching at Philippi, as I said, were Jewish members of the congregation because Paul himself is a Jew he felt quite comfortable in attacking his own people and I'll explain why in a minute. Here's what he said. If you Jewish members of the church are thinking that your Jewish heritage and all its regulations puts you on a higher level than your non-Jewish Gentile members, uh, then you are wrong. If you are feeling that your Jewish traditions need to be imposed on these non-Jewish Christian believers, then you're mistaken and you still don't understand properly the death of Jesus Christ and the full benefits that you have through him. Still don't understand what Jesus accomplished on the cross 
the full and free salvation of people from every race. If you think you have something to boast about because you are Jewish, Paul says, I have more. He did a bit of boasting, Paul, didn't he? He used to say, if you want to know how to live, just follow and do what I do, you know. So, but he had reason for it. Listen to this. He said, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's a command that goes way back to Abraham. I am of the people of Israel and I am from the tribe of Benjamin, that elite tribe who remained faithful to Judah. So from his birth, Paul was a God-fearing, law-observing Jew. His lineage was as pure as it could be. His pedigree was spotless. But even more than this, he said, I am a Hebrew born of Hebrew parents. In the dispersion in Philippi, a lot of Jewish people there had begun speaking Greek. But Paul, and they had lost their Hebrew, but not Paul. And with respect to the law, Paul was a Pharisee. He was taught by the famous Rabbi Gamaliel in the very holy city of Jerusalem. Paul devoted his whole life to rigorous and unbending observance of the law. And he was zealous, great quality for a Pharisee, he was zealous to oppose and persecute all opponents of Judaism. And Paul said with respect to righteousness that the law can produce, I was blameless. He dotted every I and crossed every T. He was a very disciplined, devoted, hard-working man. His human effort was impressive. His credentials were top-notch. Now, folk, this is why Paul understood the beauty of grace because can you imagine all these things that he's had to hold on to all of his life as a very religious man trying to get right with God and suddenly he's discovered grace in Jesus Christ freedom of, of guilt and full forgiveness of his sins and he can let all this stuff go just let it all fall away well, that was the million-dollar question. How much was all this worth on the credit side of Paul's ledger after he discovered Jesus? And the answer is zilch. What did he call it in the reading? Do you remember? Garbage. That's what he called it. I consider it all garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. So let me just sum up the reasons why St. Paul was so angry about this false teaching. In regard to our salvation and forgiveness and our eternal welcome into heaven, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Those who were suggesting that people's good deeds or credentials could contribute to salvation and forgiveness were really saying, I think we can earn our own way into heaven. Now, really saying God made a mistake uh, when he sent Jesus. Jesus didn't really need to die that shocking crucifixion death for me um, by my own human credentials and hard work to, be, to live a perfect life, I can save myself. And this, folks, is the devil's most successful lie. In the Bible, Jesus calls the devil a liar and the father of lies. In Genesis, the devil told Adam and Eve that they would not die 
and they went ahead and ate the forbidden fruit and as a result they died. And the devil is still propagating uh, his most successful lie that our good deeds uh, are all that is necessary to gain our passage to heaven. Jesus, yes, human credentials, no. The chief jailer at Philippi, on his knees, trembling, asked the question, what must I do to be saved? The answer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And that is why St Paul called out this group within the church at Philippi. They were undermining the grace of God. They were undermining the crucifixion of Christ, the only source of true forgiveness for sinful people. And that is why St Paul says in verses 8 and 9, I consider all my human credentials a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So, like St Paul, may each one of us tonight be trusting in Christ for our righteousness and not in the good deeds that we do. The good deeds that we do are wonderful to do and God expects and he has prepared good deeds for us to walk in. But they are not the things that we do to earn our salvation. They are the things that we do to show God's love for people and to fulfil his command to love our neighbour. They are the things that we do out of our gratitude for his love for us. It may be very obvious, but in my experience, some people hold on to their secret belief that if I'm just basically a good and moral person, God can't really say no to me when it comes to heaven. But of course, none of us are basically good and moral people. We are all sinners and in need of a saviour. So folks, that's the message. Jesus, yes. Human credentials, no. Thank you. In